This Week in Sparkling Water. My name is Joachim Eriksson, and I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water, and I'm feeling really funny today. I'm feeling really funny. I don't know. I feel extremely anxious. It's. Uh, I think I did a bunch of things in the last 36 hours that make me really anxious, and, and I think I just need to live with it. It's fine. Um, yeah. Yesterday I... Um, wake up and I go get my, I need to get my car serviced. So I'm driving to the place and I'm late because I'm always 10 minutes late. And I think later in the story, I will try to unpack. It's extremely private and I'm very embarrassed, but I think I will try to unpack why I'm always late in the morning. Um, But so I'm driving and it's so weird. I think I find myself trapped in like a loopback thought, a, a, a cyclical thought that is about how other people see something. Not even that I'm obsessed with how other people see me, just how they see anything. And like, so I'm driving to this car service place, which is where Javi works. Javi got me an appointment at his one, which makes me more anxious because I'm I usually drive to Yuba City and get my car serviced, and then um, I don't know anyone there. So if I'm 20 minutes late and the whole thing falls apart and they don't even have an appointment for me anymore, it doesn't matter. I don't know anyone there. It's just my day is a little bit ruined, but I'll just make it a little weird outing. But I'm driving to this place, and it's like Javi's place, and Javi is like just a worker there. So it's like when he gets someone an appointment, maybe he – I don't know, dude. But I'm late. And as I'm driving there, I'm like speeding and then I speed past this police officer. And then that's the first way of how I find myself just wondering what are they, what is a police officer looking for? Like, how do they, what does their day look like? What mind state are they in? Like, what are they, like, are they trying to fuck people up or are they just motivated by actually wanting harmony on the, on the road? And they, are they looking at you and being like, that person seems actually reckless. I better pull them over and see what's up. Or is it just they want to write as many tickets as possible? Anyway, I didn't get a ticket. I just blasted past the police officer. And then I do that all the time. And then I'm always like, it's so hard to decide how much do I slow down when I see him? Because it's such a admittance of guilt to slow down. (laughs) <laughs> to slow down a lot. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. I would do that all the time when I was a like brand new driver. Now that I'm almost only almost new, it's like I don't know. Last week I uh last week I Steph was coming back from a trip and and Augustina and Kelly were like, "She's really she's really sad. We got to go to the airport and pick her up in Sacramento." And so we all pile into my truck and we drive down to Sacramento and I just have these three kind of like opinionated <laughs> girls in the car about just criticizing my driving for a good just 15 hours straight. I like woke up early. We go. We go to the airport. We just hang out. We have lunch. We have dinner. We go to these stores and they're just like criticizing my driving the whole day. Meanwhile, they're drunk. They were, they, we went to, we went to Trader Joe's and they just buy a glass bottle of a pre-mixed cocktail. I think it was an old fashioned. 
and like a rye old fashioned. And so they're just passing this bottle of old fashioned between each other back and forth. And then they're trying to get in my car, just drinking old, drinking liquor, not even beer, not e- just drinking hard liquor out of a glass bottle in the backseat of my car. Anyway, and then Augustina's all drunk and she's like, Joachim, you're a terrible driver. I don't know. Hurt my feelings. But so anyway, yesterday I'm, um, I missed one exit and Augustina is like, wow, you're a terrible driver. It's like, she's like, turn at Heather Glenn. And I'm like, what? I don't know what that means. What's Heather Glenn? That doesn't mean anything to me. Anyway, so yesterday I'm driving, I'm driving over there to the car repair place. And then I just, the whole drive, I'm just in this headspace of trying to figure out like, what is a car maintenance place? Like, is it like a, when you're late for your appointment, how late can you be? Is it like a doctor's office? Which also raises the question of whenever I'm going to the doctor's office, I'm the same. I'm like, are they, do they plan it out? Because once I go, I wait for like an hour when I'm there. So like, if I'm 30 minutes late, is that cool? And then now I just have to wait 30 minutes? Like, am I allowed to manage this situation like that? Which reminds me of like a couple of staff members I have that like, I make the schedule and I tell them when to show up. And then they just don't really like it. So they show up like mm, 70 minutes late. Because it sounds like that, that'll be a better time. You know, you don't need me until 70 minutes after you ask me to come in here. And it's like, okay, well, it too many, too many cooks in the kitchen, guy. Just, just let one, just let me decide what we're doing here. Maybe I have a plan. Maybe I don't have time to sit everyone down and explain what the plan is. Maybe you just need to show up on time. Not that I ever show up on time, but anyway. So I'm driving to the place and I'm like, navigation says I'm going to be 20 minutes late. And I'm texting Hav like, oh, Hav, I'm sorry, I'm going to be late. And Hav doesn't respond because he's working, he's rotating tires, you know. You can't be on your phone while you're rotating someone's tires or checking someone's oil. I assume your hands are covered in oil. I also have no, I'm so curious, what does it mean to rotate tires? Like, how do you do it? I'd be fascinated to learn so then I arrive at this place and I'm all apologizing and stuff. And it's like not that nice. I walk into this office and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like 20 minutes late for this appointment. And he's like, oh, yeah, you're Javi's friend. And he's like, can you can you leave it? If you can leave it, then I can still get it done today. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can leave it. And I say that knowing that I don't know what that means. What does it mean to leave it? And then at the like very end of the conversation, when we filled out all the paperwork, I'm like, by the way, what does it mean to leave it? <laughs> Do you mean like overnight? Like what? And he's like, no, 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 just till 4.30. It's like, bro, how, how am I supposed to know that? And then he's telling me all this stuff about how he's worked there for nine years. If you've worked there for nine years, how have you not A-B tested different ways of saying stuff to people? to where you clearly can tell that they just understand what you're saying the first time around. Like, I don't get how other people are so stupid. Like, when I was a server and I would explain something to someone, I could, like, tell that they don't get it. And then next time, I'd say it slightly differently, just for me, just because 
I want to avoid the annoying situation of having to explain something three different ways. I would just say it different ways until I figured out a way where when I say it like this, people exactly understand what I mean, that this food dish is or where the bathroom is or like how something works around payment, you know? I would just try it different ways and I would figure out the perfect way and I would say it the perfect way. How have you worked in nine years and you're going to say things that are completely vague, like, oh yeah, if you can leave it, then I can still get it done today. So he's like punishing me or something and saying that I have to wait until 4.30 for my truck to be done. And he's like, yeah, if you leave it, I can do it today. But then it turned out that he had nothing to do with it. Javi did the whole thing and Javi just did the whole thing immediately and it was done in like 45 minutes. And it's like, why Why was the guy, I don't know. And I'm all in there, like, I've never been at Javi's workplace anymore, so I wanted to check on it. And I wanted to, like, make sure that Javi's in a good place because Javi's a little bit, like, he's a little bit too nice and he he's not really a shark. Javi will, like, go into a situation. Like, Javi got this, I, I would, the way I see it is, like, Javi probably gets a job by, like, sending out four resumes and then two of them ask him to come in for an interview, and then one of them offers him a job, and then he's like, okay. And then it's like, well, we got to weigh it, Javi. We got to weigh it with different stuff, you know? We got to, like, be... So, so I'm like, I really feel a great sense of... Really what I feel is that we have extremely different skill sets, and he helps me with so many things that are outside of my wheelhouse. Like, he rotated my tires... And then maybe I can help him with something like writing a resume, you know? But he seems to be doing real good, and he's been holding down this job for a really fucking long time now, and it's just such a steady fucking thing, being a mechanic, and it just seems, it seems good, but I was trying to gauge, like, what's the mood in that place? Are those people positive enough for my guy Javi? Like, is he having a good time here? Like... Are they nice enough to him? And I feel I feel real protective of him. And then this guy at the front desk, he was like giving me a real weird vibe. And then, all right, I have to jump around in the story a little bit, I guess. But like an hour later, I'm there and Javi's like, yeah, it's already done. And and then I'm I Javi's like, just go in that office and pay. And at this point, it's like 12.35 p.m. or something. So I go in and they're both eating stuff, like some sort of soup or something out of Tupperware. And I'm like, hey, how's it going, y'all? And I'm like, Javi says, I, it's done. And like, is it, is my car ready? Like, could I pay maybe? And they're like, yeah, we're not ready for you. We're going to have, you're going to have to wait five minutes. Let, let us finish our lunch. And then I just felt so bad. Like, I misread the room. Like, they're eating. And apparently they eat like at the front desk. <laughs> so you could, you could like, Forgive me for thinking that you're working because you're sitting at a computer at a front desk. It's so American. It always reminds me of like this, that, oh God, there's this funny French fucking rant where this guy is like, you know, if we if we let the Americans decide how we work and if we start working a little bit more than the Americans and we start working more and like them and stuff, then one day we're going to be eating salads in front of our computers, which is like, cause the, the French thing is like the point of life to a French person is that sure you can have a nine to five and you can have a job and you can work medium hard, but you have to be able to take a two and a half hour lunch, you know, where you have flaky, flaky baguette with on the side of whatever you're eating for lunch you know like 
eating a salad in front of a computer, just working through lunch is to a French person the biggest symbol we could imagine of a society having lost its way. And they're not wrong, probably. It's just that there's this stronger mechanic. Sure, we want good lives. That one, like, force in the universe is that human beings want to live good lives. But there's, like, a stronger force, and it's called capitalism. So these fellas at the mechanic shop are all greasy, and they're eating out of Tupperware in front of a computer at a front desk, okay? So... I'm and I'm real rude and stuff and I'm I'm thinking I can stop their lunch and stuff and 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 they and they and I'm like oh my god I'll I'll, I'll wait outside is what I tell them. And again they just gave me this like really aggro vibe and I I didn't they didn't like me. Wow, there's like 50 little quails outside of my window just pecking, just gr- grazing all over my lawn just sort of walking back and forth just eating stuff off of my lawn. It's a real nice little fat, little funny bird, a quail, with a nice big birdie headdress. I don't know. I guess part of what I'm saying is like, I'm I'm a little bit too obsessed with trying to understand how people think about stuff and I should just give up. Because people just have different things than me and, and it's like, sometimes the, the the chasm is too... It's just too wide for me to bridge it and it doesn't make any sense. And like just working in the service industry and like managing people in the service industry and always thinking about how we could smoothen out any rough edges and and being obsessed with guest experience just makes it kind of hard to be a recipient of any goods or services because I just, I'm always thinking about perfection and I don't know. That's boring. That's boring to talk about. Anyway, I think the point of how I'm obsessed with trying to understand how other people see stuff is just that it's a really uncomfortable headspace because I always end up thinking to myself how like two extremely opposite scenarios are both possible. Like it's possible that I'm driving to this um, car auto body shop, this mechanic, and and everything is so chill there and i could be 45 minutes late and it doesn't matter and he's just going to he's just going to shake my hand and just put his under, other hand on my shoulder and and just look me in the eye and just say like oh dude it's going to it's fine man it, it, you don't even really need an appointment it's all good like we'll take care of you and and then he'll ask me about my day and he'll just be this sort of like big brother figure and he'll show me that like he's taken he's really sort of having Javi grow as a person under his wing and he's a business owner and he's just like this this really sort of leader amongst men and all these mechanics, they they all are developing something that they love under his leadership and developing themselves and the walls are just like covered in little little wood carved things that everyone's made when there's downtime and just people making all different kinds of things with their hands and it's just like a beautiful thing like that and that's what it could be like even if I'm 20 minutes late and then it could also be the absolute opposite where it's like I'm 20 minutes late and the guy doesn't even look up from the computer and he's like yeah I can reschedule you whenever we can't get you in today it's like and also like there's a $300 um, fee for not not showing up not showing up to your appointment, I'm still going to have to charge your card, cash or credit, you know? 
300 bucks. Like both of those scenarios are like, whenever I'm thinking about how does someone, how does someone think about something? I have, I never have any idea and I never have any anchor point to hang up anything. Like it's just a very uncomfortable surrender at the end of it all. But anyway, so going back in time a tiny bit here. So I drop off my truck and Javi is such a good guy. And I, we, it's a really hilarious setup actually, because, because he just give me his keys to his truck. So while they're working on mine, I can just borrow his. So in the future, I'm just going to drop off my truck, grab his, go to work, and then I'm going to have him drive my truck to my work at the end of his workday, swap out the trucks, have him sit down in the restaurant where I work and just buy him dinner and just, we can just hang a little bit. And it'll be like this perfect thing where I can service my truck and it doesn't have to take any time on my day off. It'll just be like this perfectly, it'll just be a really sweet setup, you know? But anyway, that's not what happened yesterday. So here's the thing. Oh God, should I talk about this? I think I should talk about this. It's like, I'm going to get food with Javi. No, without Javi. I'm going to get food for him. And then I run into Maddie. And then we sit down at Hartwood. And then we, oh God, sidebar, not that interesting. But like, we sit down at Hartwood and I order a a Japanese breakfast bowl, which is like a, a soup, a miso soup with a bunch of salmon and eggs and stuff in it. And then I grab some chopsticks and I'm drinking the soup. And the crazy thing is that the chopsticks are, say, Saigon sibling on them. Saigon siblings. And I flip them over and it's just like, yeah, Babar, Monsoon, Babar in Capitol Hill, Babar in, in uh, University Village, my old restaurant. For some reason, the chopsticks from my old restaurant in Seattle, the last restaurant I worked at, found their way down to Nevada City. It's a very Chinese experience when, when they just have factories pumping stuff out. And then the stuff just needs to go somewhere. And then it doesn't matter what it says on them, on the stuff. Like in China, everything just says the wrong stuff because they just have too much stuff. Like they, they are the factory for the world. So they make everything for everyone else. So they don't really have to make stuff for themselves because there's just going to be surpluses. So here was like, oh yeah, here's cotton balls that were meant for like Ghana. They were going to be sent to Ghana, but... They made too many and the Ghana people didn't pay for them. So we kept them. So we sell them in a Chinese store now. So they have all this crazy other writing on it. And then, you know, here are these Nikes that were going to go to America. So, yeah, you know, you know what I mean? The iPhones are like, the iPhone you buy is like the Hong Kong version of something because they made too many Hong Kong versions or whatever. But so somehow my restaurant in Seattle ordered too many chopsticks and they ended up in Nevada City. I honestly have to... Um, investigate investigate this one a little bit. Like I'm gonna have to ask someone at Hartwood, and I did, and I didn't get a good answer. It's uh, McKay, the new bartender that I hired. He actually works at Hartwood and used to live in Seattle, and didn't have an answer for me. All he could tell me was, "Yeah, we're not associated with Saigon Sibling." It's like, bro, I had one of the two Saigon Siblings on the podcast. I need an answer. Because it's Eric Bunn and his sister Vivian. I can't remember what her name is. Oh, actually, I'm remembering it now. It's actually, I'm not telling this story unchronologically. It's actually like that. I first go and drop the truck off and then I go and pick up food. 
And when I go to pick up food, I run into Maddie and we sit down and we eat some food. And I see these weird Saigon sibling chopsticks at Hartwood. And then I eat food there with her. And then I get a food to go for Javi, one more Kyoto bowl. And I drive back to the place and I give him his Kyoto bowl. And then I just hang out for a bit. And then the whole thing happens where the truck is done and, and I'm, I'm told that I'm, they can't, they're not ready for me and they're kind of rude to me again and I don't love it and everything. And, and then, <clears throat> and then, okay, so now, let me say one more thing about that then. So then like at the very end of this front desk agent at the fucking mechanic shop, the guy who's the main mechanic or whatever, at the end of him being just rude to me at every corner, he, he's like, okay, so let me just take one look at under the hood before you leave. I just want to make sure everything is good. So, and we're talking a little bit and then I like break through and he becomes nice to me. And then here's the thing that makes everything way more powerful. Like that's now a blissful experience to feel like you've broken through with someone who treats everyone like shit. So it's like, it's almost not bad customer service. It's just like a different customer service philosophy that like when I worked at Blue Start, that was like Elliot's customer service philosophy where he was just like short and rude with everyone and he had a British accent so he could get away with it. And then sometimes he'd like someone and they'd he'd be nice to them and then that person would just be like beside themselves with just the honor of feeling like the rude guy likes me. And it's a, it's, it taps into some other, because when you are doing my philosophy of it, where we're just extremely professional and nice to everyone, and people just are sort of stuffed into the one end of this funnel, and they're just funneled into this completely smooth experience where every phrase that they hear and every, every phrase they hear is like A-B tested and every face they see is smiling and everyone has like, you know, brushed their teeth and, you know, no one has, like, weird colored socks. And, you know, the forks are right. Every, everything is put down correctly. The mise en place is on point. And everything with the payment is really smooth. And there's no embarrassing thing ever, anywhere. And there's no conflict anywhere. Like, when you go in and everyone has that experience, maybe it doesn't mean anything special to anyone. Because it's everyone's experience. So then at the very end, when this guy looks under my hood and we kind of like, I, I crack a couple of jokes and I say a couple of man things and he says a couple of man things back. And we like had this like bro down and we like, yeah, yeah, I know. Right. And we talked about the snow and he, he had all these trees on his property just kind of like fall over and. And I pretended like I was friends with Augustina's friend because Augustina's friend showed me this video. It's like number one thing that I do because I have zero friends. So I'll always tell a story like, oh, yeah, my friend did this. But it's like not my friend. It's someone that my coworker told me about, you know? <laughs> like, like, let's be honest here. Like, I don't have any friends. So my coworker told me – my coworker showed me a video – where Augustina, Augustina's friend is standing in his yard and there's like four feet of snow on everything. And he's got four cars and he can, he's filming the trees and all the trees are, have an incredible amount of snow on them. And, and the crazy thing about trees here now 
that I find super fascinating is that climate change has already happened. So the climate here is now slightly different than it was 10 and 20 and 30 and 100 years ago. So now, especially right here, like I saw this like heat map of where it's true in California and it's super true here, meaning that something like 70% of all trees um, that are growing here in this area 70% 70% of them are now are no longer compatible with this climate. They are just the wrong tree for this climate. So they're not doing that good. Because like now the climate is different. It's not like oh everything's going to die. It's just like other trees are going to grow up that are slightly more tropical or whatever because it's slightly more tropical or or deserty or arid here. Maybe maybe I guess it's more like an arid plateau now. It's just so dry. These like 10-year droughts really aren't anom- anomalies anymore. It's just that's what the climate is. So around here 70% of the trees don't no longer fit the climate. So something like 20 or 30% of the trees are already dead on the inside because of the long drought. So they're just zombie trees. So then when you hit them with four feet of snow, like a metric ton of snow, some, you know, like a good portion of all the trees on some of these roads just fell over. So Augustina's friend filmed this video where um, as he's filming, you he can just hear the cracking Uh, of the trees and they're all swaying back and forth and then as he's filming a tree just falls on his car and then that triggers this like domino effect where another tree falls on another car and he just goes oh that's the porsche and then he films his wife in the window and she just looks stunned and he just catches the whole thing on video and it's it's absolutely crazy actually i wonder if i can put that on my I'll try to put that in the in the show notes or whatever because it's it's a crazy video and I think I can probably put it on my thing. Who cares? Anyway, so I'm bonding a little bit with this mechanic and then he finally like cracks up and he's really nice to me and he he starts thanking me for coming in and stuff and he does this like really sort of late in the game really good customer service thing after establishing that he's an like, absolute grumpy hard ass. At the last 20 seconds of our interaction, he's like super nice and, and, and thanks me and stuff. And, and it's like, yeah, now you're making me feel really good. And I guess everything is about expectation. So then is when this thing happened where I, I go driving and I have to go to the bathroom and I have to poop and I'm, I've like kind of, my, my rhythm is kind of off. So the reason I'm late for work every day maybe is because I just like, I like to hang out and I like to wait for my body to want to poop on its own. And then, oh God, I can't believe I'm, I'm not the type of person that talks about this. But I think I need to talk about it because I, I, I think if I don't talk about it, it becomes like a mental block or something. And then you have these problems, like I have a friend and he's actually my friend. It's not like a story I heard from my coworker. I have a friend, I'm not going to tell you who it is, who is super conservative with in every conceivable way. And that conservatism is also projected onto his body. I just let, I just let it slip that it's a man. But I think that actually will, is actually really important to the story. So, so. His conservatism about everything even became a thing 
related to his body. And then he developed this problem where he suddenly found himself having to pee every 15 minutes. And it's like, this is a, and him telling me this was a shock because he like doesn't even acknowledge that he has a body or whatever, because he's so uptight about everything. But so he's telling me this and he's telling me how scared he is that there's something wrong, that he has like prostate cancer or something, but he's like a little bit too young to have prostate cancer. And then he goes to the urologist all these different times for like a while and nothing shows up. And physically, he's completely fine. And then the ultimate type of conservatism also includes not believing in any mental health issues at all, believing that all mental health issues are only a sign of character deficiencies, only a sign of weakness of character, weakness of spine, poverty of education, you know, a failure of upbringing. So... The fact that there's nothing physically wrong with him really creates this like psychological dissonance within him where like, so what does that mean? Because I, I have to pee every 15 minutes and I have a job and I, I have to like go to meetings and, and, and I can't be in these meetings. Like he's describing these like really important meetings where he's just like standing up in the middle of the meeting and leaving because he has to pee. And then it's just like slowly as we talk about it, the problem goes away because as we talk about it and just acknowledge that, you know, even if he gets fired for this, it doesn't even matter. And and the fact that he has a body isn't that shameful, actually, because everyone has a body. And as we sort of start acknowledging it, the psychological block, because the whole thing was just a psychological block, I think. And I mean, there's other parts of the story, but like, I can't fucking say it because it's so fucking shameful and crazy and and it becomes easier and easier to identify who I'm talking about. And I cannot have you know who I'm talking about because I love this person and I, I respect his privacy. But like just this psychological block of being completely conservative and ashamed of his of your body fucked him up for years of not being able to live a normal life. And then so... So then I have this thing where I'm like, I like to wake up and I like to chill and I like to have some coffee and I like to wait wait for my body to want to poop. And then if I have to leave really early, it sort of fucks up my rhythm. And I'm like, but I wasn't really ready. And then Javi didn't ask me what time I wanted an appointment for. He just made me an appointment for 11 a.m. And then the night before... We have a slow day at the restaurant and I'm the closing manager and I'm like, maybe I can just leave at 9 p.m. and it'll be fine and I can chill a little bit and then I'll be at the car mechanic at 11 a.m. and no, no issues. And then we have one freaking hotel guest arrival all day, a one single one and one check-in as it's called. And then we call this person just to ask for an ETA and they're like, Oh, yeah, I'll be there at 11 p.m. So I'm in this, like, empty restaurant. We close up a little bit early. It's a Tuesday in the middle of the low season, in the middle of a fucking rainstorm. No one is coming in because there's a rainstorm. There's mudslides everywhere. So I'm in this restaurant, and I'm just sitting there waiting for 11 p.m. to roll around. That was That was actually torture because I was too tired to do any actual work. Only, yeah, I don't know. 
Anyway, so I was stuck at work and I didn't even get home for, until midnight, even though there was nothing going on, just because I had to wait for one guy because everyone called in sick or I sent them home because it was too slow. And I just like, I just ate it, you know? I just like shouldered the whole thing. Anyway, so insofar as there is a point, the point is that I couldn't go to bed early, so I'm, I'm, I get to this appointment and I, and I like, the, <laughs> the funny thing is that I had texted a little bit with Maddie that maybe we should hang out and then we run into each other for lunch. And then she's like, should we, I'm like, hey, maybe we should hang out tonight. And then she's like, yeah, so are we hanging out tonight? And then I was noncommittal because I just didn't know how it was going to go with if I needed to poop or not. <laughs> like, do I have IBS? Like, do I, it's just so funny because I know that it's all anxiety. I really, you know, what's more fascinating than the connection between the gastrointestinal system and, and anxiety levels? in our fucking consciousness, not even in our bodies, just in our minds. So when I woke up in the morning, I like did a little bit of a rush job and I pooped a little bit. And then I go to the mechanic and then I go see Maddie and then I go back to the mechanic and I pick up my truck. And then when I'm leaving the mechanic, I'm like, okay, so this is serious now. Like the rushed poop that I did in the beginning when I woke up in the beginning of this day, that's not going to cut it. Like something is going on now and I like really need a bathroom now. So then I was almost thinking like I should go to work because it's like really nice and stuff, but it's so embarrassing to like run into work <laughs> needing to poop. Like Jesus, guys, we can't, that doesn't, that doesn't work. So I was like, I'll go to the library because... America has fewer public restrooms per capita than any country in the fucking universe. But a lot of these places have nice libraries with nice enough bathrooms. And people know about that. And that's why people do a lot of drugs in those bathrooms. And homeless people are a big thing in library bathrooms. And I think librarian is a really funny job in America because it sounds like one thing and it is something else. It sounds like someone who gets to like stand around and sort of sort books all day and then once in a while in a whispery voice answer sort of like a question about a book recommendation or like maybe talk to some child about like some random thing that the child is interested in. But really what a librarian is in America is like a bouncer and someone administering Narcan every day probably. Like... No one knows how to use Narcan better than the librarians. Anyway, so I set sail for the library, right? And I'm leaving the mechanic shop. And the mechanic shop is tucked away a little bit more than I thought. I. It's also why I was late, because I thought it was like faster to get to the mechanic shop than to get to Grass Valley. But it's actually beyond Grass Valley and south of it, tucked away in the forest on this little mountain road. So it's actually like... Getting to the library is like a 15-minute drive, and that doesn't sound like a long drive. But but as I'm leaving the mechanic shop, I'm realizing that like I really need to I really need to go to the bathroom. And and it's like sudden where you you know I'm really gonna talk about this. You know when it's like you feel like you aren't sure what's going on, but you have you nothing is distracting you, so you can focus on it to try to figure it out. Like what is going on here? 
is this, am I just a little bit gassy or is this really happening? And then you sort of realize that it's like, oh no, it's like really happening and it's like, and it's like really hard. And then it's really difficult, not hard at all. It's in fact, yeah. And then as I'm driving to the library, I'm counting like the seconds and I'm really looking around like, could I just pull over and just poop in a ditch? Because it's either that or my mind is toying with the idea of just pooping my pants and then going home. And I will tell you that I don't talk about these things and I don't do these things. I haven't pooped my pants ever as an adult. Is that true? Yes, that's true. I have never pooped my pants as an adult. I'm sure I pooped my pants as a kid, but I don't even really remember it. It's weird, though, because it's such a... um, Pooping your pants is such a, um, like, archetype experience that even though I haven't experienced it forever, you can still imagine what it's like. Because even if you just experienced it when you were an infant or whatever... It's just like this experience that's in our DNA. Like even if you ne- even if you're an infant and you've never pooped your pants, I'm sure you can still imagine what it's like because it's just one of the most basic creature experiences that we have. You know, for as long as we've had butt cheeks, we've pooped our pants, right? Anyway, so like there's a quivering there's a quivering quality to how some of my muscles are acting. Like my body is quivering and I feel myself getting completely cold and having a cold sweat and I'm straining. I'm like straining in my car trying to decide if I should straighten out my whole body or if I should bend my whole body. And I think what you should do is you should straighten out, but it's like I'm in the driver's seat of a car and I'm not trying to crash. So I can't straighten out completely. So I just really put, plant my left foot in this sort of, oh God, I hate that I'm talking about this. And I'm straining and I'm quivering and I am struggling with this. Like I'm struggling. And then you get to this thing where it's like, it's so difficult to fight it. And you feel yourself, like on some level, you get to a certain point where you cannot fight it anymore. Like there is such a, there's a medical situation. There's a thing that happens where their willpower will not help you and you're just going to poop your pants. And it's like when you're approaching that territory, there's almost a sense of like, you can still, you're aware and you're awake and you're an adult and you can still make calculations with like, so what am I doing here? Like, am I just pooping my pants and am I going to like get this car seat covered in poop like this is insane so i'm like looking around for stuff like tools and like i don't know you know can we put is there something in this car i could poop on is there something in this car i could put between myself and the car seat it's just like what how how many layers of problems are we gonna have here and then the whole thing plays into this like look if I poop my pants, I'm going all the way to my house and I'm burning all of my clothes and I'm taking a shower and I'm not leaving my house and I'm not going to have dinner with Maddie. But if I don't poop my pants, then I can just stick around and be stay in town and hang out. And, and, and Maddie's like, 
texting me and asking like, so what are we doing? Are we like, are we having dinner tonight? And I don't text her back to say, hey, look, I need to know how this plays out, like if I poop my pants or not, because I can't commit to having dinner until I know, until I get an answer on this open question here. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so I'm, it's a 15-minute drive from the mechanic shop to the library. And I'm getting there. And I'm getting there and I'm getting closer and I'm straining and there's a lot of quivering. And I, I find myself being very close, like I'm 90% of the way there. And I'm realizing that it doesn't matter that I'm 90% of the way there. It doesn't matter that I'm like pretty much something like 150 seconds away from being able to walk into a bathroom stall at the library. It doesn't really matter because we're reading, we're reaching um, critical mass or like... You know, we, we're losing cabin pressure. Like, we're really sort of getting to that sort of medical, um, the clinical level of losing control here to where I all of my willpower, all of my grown-up willpower might not be enough. And it doesn't really matter that we're very close to making it because we're not making it. And I'm rolling towards the library, and I'm really like 30 seconds from the library, and it's really like one of the most titanic feats of willpower matched by my body really fighting me here. Something going on within me that's exactly as powerful as my willpower. Like we get to a perfectly matched thing where like an unstoppable force hits and an immovable object. Like it's not clear who's winning here. And then I finally get to the library parking lot. And then the parking lot is full. Like there are probably 45 parking spots at the library and they're all full. So at this point, I'm like, the calculation shifts and I'm like, oh, so like, I don't even want to go to the bathroom here because if there's a line in the bathroom and I'm standing in the bathroom and everyone can just hear me pooping my pants as I stand next to them and their children. Because the only time that the library is busy is when they have like events for kids. Like they bring someone in to like read a read from a fucking children's book or they do these events where people come out and like explain what a koala is and they bring a koala and everyone brings their kids and all the hippies love it and or they like explain what bread is and how you make bread and they show a video and they like have you touch dough like they do this the library has this programming for kids so i know that if it's busy it's busy because it's full of kids in there and like look if the calculation is, am I going to walk into a bathroom and realize that the bathroom, that there's already a line in the bathroom and now I'm standing there with like eight people in a line and everyone can hear me poop my pants and there's kids there, then I'll rather just poop my pants in my car. You know what I'm saying? Like, is that crazy? <laughs> am I crazy for saying that? Because I think that's it. I think it's better to just, if you're, if it's going to go to that, if it's, going to have to be a social situation, then just make it not a social situation and just poop your pants in your car. Don't worry about it. Just drive to your house. Like, I don't have anything on the docket. Like, I'm not in a weird new city. I'm not staying at my friend's house. I'll just go to my house and I will have pooped my pants and I will just burn all my clothes and take a shower. And it's like, you know, it'll be one of those things that 
you give it like three and a half years and then I can probably tell it as a funny story, you know? Because that's the thing about poop. It's important to tell it as a funny story as soon as possible so that you don't develop a sarcoma, you know? So you don't develop a um, psychosomatic... So you don't develop a, a, a problem. Because I think maybe I'm I'm getting too conservative about poop and I need to like talk about it on my podcast a little bit to to uncoil some of the tightness here. Cause sometimes I find myself having nightmares about having to poop and stuff. And I think I just need to be like, look, it's fine. Like I'm doing I'm cultivating this character where I'm like this really put together like um pretentious European character and I like to tell people that I don't poop, but it's making me fearful of people finding out that I poop. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to give myself a... I'm going to have to poop every 15 minutes if this keeps going. And I, we can't have that. We can't have that. I can't I can't be in an important meeting and there's have to leave in the middle of it just to go poop. So, I'm in the parking lot and... There is not a single parking spot, and I pull all the way around, and then right as I'm about to leave the parking lot at the library, there's one spot, and I pull into this spot, and I'm feeling like maybe I'm good. Like maybe, you know how it comes in waves? It's the same with having to pee, where it's like you get this wave of having to pee, and you have to pee so much, and then if you hold it in, 15 minutes later, you might almost not have to pee at all. And it's, there's just an ebb and a flow of it. And it's weird. And somehow there was an ebb and a flow to this where like, I still needed to go to the bathroom, but I'm not losing control anymore. And I just felt confident enough that I think I can go in there and scope it out. And if it's possible, if there's not a line in the bathroom and stuff, then we're good. And if there is a line in the bathroom, I'm not going to um, fart in some kid's face and just poop my pants. Because like I might get arrested. I was hanging out with, I was <laughs> hanging out with, with uh, Dave Phillips in Napa Valley, you know, a few weeks ago, and and we're driving on this like incredibly gorgeous, just the the highways that they're just country roads connecting Napa Valley to the ocean. You go out to Point Reyes and stuff. It's just these rolling, beautiful hills, and it was sunset, and it was just like the sky was all pink and purple and beautiful, and the hills were rolling, and and um, we had this ninety-year-old man in the back seat, and we were trying to keep him in the conversation, but his hearing isn't very good, and and we're driving, and we're having, we're laughing up a storm, and I love David Phillips, and he's one of the funniest people I know, and and it's it's good, you know. But the point is that we get to this point where I really have to pee and I drove all the way down to Napa and then we piled back into the car and drove again and, and I just and I just really got to go, you know? And then we're... Uh, <laughs> there's like a school bus. We had a weird driving experience with a school bus where like there's a really slow school bus and Dave sort of drives around it and overtakes this car, this bus. And then we're ahead of the school bus and then suddenly the school bus is like really fast and catching up to Dave and then he's speeding again and we're, we get ahead of it. But then I have to pee and I ask to, to, for us to pull over and we pull over in this like beautiful meadow and it's just like what's more wonderful than just sort of peeing in, a, in God's country, you know? 
where the where there's like a little bit of a little bit of a fog in the air and a little bit of trees and the the sunlight is trickling in these like sheaths between the trees hitting the fog and the sunlight has this like shape to it in the in the particulates in the air and you can like it's just these ribbons of sunlight and it's a sunset and the sky is beautiful and you're peeing you know and you're going and you you you're a man and you can stand up and pee and it's it's standing up and peeing is really it's really quite wonderful you know it's really quite like incredibly convenient like it's just so it works so well and then um D- Dave and me get out of the car and we're peeing on this meadow and then he brings up this thing and he brings it up too late I tell you where he's like look if you're peeing in public that is public indecency or like exposure or something and if you if there's a child present um that's like you're now on the sex offender list like if the school bus drives past us when we're peeing we're both going to have to move and get new jobs because we're both going to be on the registry on the sex offender registry and and I don't know. I just always had this funny relationship with the sex offender registry because whenever you hear that someone's on it, they always have like a story of like, look, I didn't know it was a school and it was just like in the middle of the night and I was just smoking weed and and I get arrested and like I was peeing and it's like I didn't know that it was a school and blah, blah, blah. And then you always find out that they're a pedophile. Like it's never not real. Anyone who's on the sex offender registry deserves to be on it in my experience. And so the fact that I have come that I'm laying down the law like that makes it even scarier to end up on it because you don't want to be the one exception. You don't want to be the guy being like, look, I know what you're thinking. Everyone on the sex offender registry should be on it. But me, it was just I was in Napa. I asked Dave to pull over because I needed to pee. It was like a beautiful meadow. The sunlight was coming in between the trees and these like beautiful, almost like braids of blonde hair just waving around me. And it was the sunlight hitting the particulates. And then a school bus came past and they called the cops and and now I can't live within like six and a half miles of a school and I'm not allowed to work with kids. And I also, I'm not allowed to use a computer for four years. Like, you don't want to be the one guy who's like, I'm innocent, but everyone else is guilty. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. So as I'm, yeah, so as I'm deciding if I'm going to poop my pants or not in front of these kids, that's also in my head. Where I'm like, I'm sure it's illegal to fart in a child's face, you know? I'm sure there's a registry for people who fart in kids, like, loudly. Oh, God. Oh, God. This is like... This is the worst episode of the podcast ever. I should just, I should just give up on this. Um, but anyway, so what happens is that I walk into the library, and there is no one in the bathroom, and I don't know why every single parking spot in the li- in the parking lot was full, and there weren't that many people in there. There was like quite a few people in the library sitting at tables on computers and stuff. But there was not a soul in the bathroom, and I go in there, and I black out. Like, it's not even – like, once you've been that close, like, once you've created that big of an imaginary castle of different outcomes, most of them bad, surrounding 
pooping or not pooping your pants, once you've gone that far down the road, it's not like it's really a, a nice experience to poop. It's just not commensurate with the badness of the fear of pooping your pants. Like once you're now pooping, it's really just, it's bringing you back to baseline. You're, at, you're, you're back on zero. The fear is melting away slowly, but there's a lot of residual anxiety left in you. And, and you're really like, this is what I'm talking about, man. Now, and now I'm having nightmares about pooping my pants. Like I need to not be so afraid of it. I need to just go with it. You know, it's so fascinating to me how, how it's, probably 98% psychological because when I'm on any day that I work, I wake up and I might poop or I might not poop. And then I go to work and then I do not think about poop for the entirety of the day until the work day is over. And then I might check in with myself and be like, oh yeah, I'm a little bit behind on this. I, uh, I should retire to my chambers for a second, you know, you know? Reminds me of a, <laughs> I saw this TikTok where this guy goes, I pooped in a toilet with no water in it. So I had to tell my friend that I didn't drop my kids off at the pool. I dropped my kids off at the skate park. Is that funny? I didn't think it was very funny, but it was topical. It was just, it just seemed a little bit topical for this moment. Oh, God. So what I'm saying is like, it's my day off and there was a lot of anxious things that I wanted to do. Like I, the, the whole mechanic thing stressed me out and then I'm trying to do my taxes. And so I go to the, my, um, accountant's office and I pick up my taxes and I do my company taxes. And so I get, I finally have done my company taxes. My accountant did them. And then that gives me this K1 form that is a form showing how you're company taxes influence your personal taxes. So you have to like do your company taxes first so that y you can now know what your personal taxes are. And all of that stuff stresses me out because I don't really understand it. And it just hits me like it's fucking March. It's almost late March. Like I'm getting close to the tax deadline and I've been trying to do this the whole time. And I've been sending like one tiny little email about it as often as I've been able to. And it's just so, there's so much stress around my taxes because I'm trying to shut down this company that I have and I'm worried that there's a lot that there's a big money problem and that I have to pay a lot of money or something and then I finally pick it up and something about all of that anxiety made me almost poop my pants and then and then the crazy thing was that I it turns out that my taxes have probably been filed now I still need to pay like I still owe thousands of dollars my company taxes, like my sales tax or whatever. Like, there's a bunch of shit I have to pay still. Okay, so I literally had to pause the episode right there because I just had an, a fear-related idea about how I actually think I forgot to pay my sales tax for everything that my company sold last year. And I think that's a separate thing that I still owe money for. And then there's this other thing of how some money was paid out in a sort of, as a sort of income. And I have no idea how, like, what we in Swedish call which is like, there's income tax that an employee sees on whatever money they're being paid. But then there's also other 
taxes on the employer side for anything paid to. And I don't understand how that works in America. And I don't know who to give money to, but it's so stressful for me that I'm actually going to go out of my way to call everyone to make sure that I have paid everyone just so that I can relax, even if that means I have to pay extra and maybe it's stuff where it wasn't even enough or maybe they weren't even going to find me or whatever, you know? I'm just going to really go out of my way to try to pay every single tax and fee that I might owe. And I'm going to make sure to call everyone. Because there is one thing about the government websites in in California specifically where like the websites work really poor, but you the websites are shady, but you can call them and ask them stuff, and they will talk you through how to do stuff. Like, they will give you very direct advice. You, you, I was expecting them in situations like this to be like, yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not an accountant. I can't give you legal advice. I'm not a lawyer. I can't comment on that. But they will tell you like, yeah, this is the thing you need to pay. And no, you don't need to pay that. And it's like, they're with the government, and they make it sound conclusive. But so I pick up this package of paid of filed tax return stuff for my company and I go home and I do my taxes finally. And then when I do them, sidebar, I'm in the middle of a sidebar here, okay? I'm going to go back to the library later, but I go home and I do my taxes and I do them at like 10 p.m. And, and I'm like trying to do them quickly, but I, because I have written down everything that influences my taxes, you know? All these stupid like crypto shit and all this stupid like I have $10,000 in stocks for some stupid reason and I have it all written down and I sit down and I meticulously go through each thing and I do TurboTax and I answer all the questions and I have all the paperwork and everything's gathered and I do it correctly and I do it in 55 minutes and then TurboTax has this funny like gamification of it where like there's these like colors across the screen and you get a medal and you did your taxes and then you get like points and it's like you did your taxes faster than 90 percent of people and i did it in 55 minutes it really feels like wow people spend a lot of time on their taxes then huh um and so then i file it and then an hour later i get an email saying the federal government has rejected your tax return uh so chill What's more chill than that? What's more relaxing than getting an email and a text? I got two texts and two emails, actually, at the same time. Just like, you've been rejected. Your tax return, there's a problem with your tax return. The federal government is coming after you. And then the whole thing is just worst case scenario. I go in, and it's really TurboTax fucked me up because when I was putting in the info around health insurance, I'm saying, it's asking me, hey, did you get a... 1095A form and I say yes and then it goes next and it's like okay then you're done and then there's a little box saying why don't I have to fill why don't I have to give you the information for my 1095A and I even click I remember clicking that box and being like yeah because why don't they need the information on my 1095A and then they there's this like template fucking text about like oh if you have a 1095a ever since 2021 we don't actually need your information we don't we don't rely on that and blah 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 blah, blah and it's like we can just keep going and blah, blah 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 and so we just speed past it and i'm like okay fine whatever and then it turns out they do need my information and when i put it in suddenly i owe two thousand dollars in taxes so chill uh, and that's like on top of these other thousands of dollars i owe for like the company or whatever so chill and I really, I knew that maybe, I just had a feeling there was going to be a problem somewhere. And 
So I've been not investing. I've just been putting money in my actual checking account because usually I don't keep like a lot of money in my checking account because it's kind of stupid. You you want to kind of put it somewhere, right? Like you don't want to have $10,000 in your checking account. You want to like invest it in something, whatever it is, even p- at least put it in a savings account. But so I knew that there was going to be a problem. So I've just like kept all this money in my checking account, but whatever, there's not enough money in my checking account for what's going on right now. And this is uh this is a little bit problemato, but uh, let's, let's not worry about that. But so I'm, it, it's like, it's so interesting that like, how do you handle it psychologically when you, when you go from, because when I first filed the, the, the tax return that was rejected by the government where TurboTax fucked me, that, that was like, I owe the federal government 300 and the state government, they're going to give me 200 back. So it's like, I owe a hundred bucks. So fine, you know, um, it's a wash. But then when this number just pops up on the screen that I owe $2,000, like, what do we do with that? Do we just say, like, first of all, I looked into it and I realized that it's just like, I was trying to find who to blame and I thought it was because I got a promotion and because it seemed like I had a mo- one month gap in having health insurance or maybe there's something about how my job, blah, 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 pays for my health insurance wrong. No, the reason I owe $2,000 is because in the fall of 2021, I wish I could just say the numbers out loud here, but in the fall of 2021, I signed up for health insurance for 2022 and I guessed how much money I was going to make in 2022. And then now a year and a half later, we have the answer of how much money I made in 2022 and I miscalculated or I, I mean, it's an estimate based on what happened in 2021. In 2022, I made $20,000 more than in 20, than what I expected. And because of that, there was like a tax credit that it seemed like I was going to qualify for. So they just gave me really good health insurance, paid for it. And I only had to pay 200 bucks. And then now all of a sudden, this tax credit, I don't, I don't qualify for it. So really my health insurance was 500 bucks a month. Suddenly I made lots more money and now I don't qualify for a thing. And now I owe thousands of dollars. That's what happened. And when I look at it like that, I'm like, okay, I'm the guy who filled in the number thinking I was like, you know, I'm a server. I chill. I work three, four or five days a week. Who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? And then what really happened is like inflation happened. Inflation happened where all prices skyrocketed. And as a server, your money is pegged to menu prices because you get 20% tip on whatever the check is. And the check goes up if all the menu prices go up. So when there's severe inflation, suddenly you're just making way more money in absolute terms. And then the government didn't update their levels of like, what's the pain threshold here? Which people should have a right to this tax credit? But you know, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Um, And then I was texting with Doug about it. And I just, he told me that the exact same thing happened to him. He like signed up for health insurance. They said, based on what you think you're going to make and stuff, your health insurance is going to be 500 bucks a month for you and your wife. And then he got a promotion. And then it was like, oh, actually, you don't 
qualify for the discount that we gave you. So you have to pay the actual price. And the actual price is actually $1,700 a month. And you've been getting this for months. And now it's the next year. And now you have to pay it all back. Pay the whole discount back. And so that sounds like a way more money than I had to pay even. But it's like, Jesus Christ. He he described it as like yeah with the with that with those discounts it's not a slide it's just a cliff like either you fall off the cliff or you don't and if you fall off the cliff it's like yeah just 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 cut them a check you know but then it turns into this question of like what do we do with that when it's one a.m. and I have this number on my screen that I owe two thousand dollars and I don't really have the money in my bank account in a good way where like. Because I have sort of like more than $2,000, but I know that I have to pay thousands for something else. So what do we do? Because if I wait, I just feel it becoming a big negative thing. If I, if I now pay this two weeks from now, then it's this thing that for two weeks I'm just waiting to pay. Like it just exists in my mind very actively for two weeks. And I just know that that's like the worst possible way to handle it. So I like figured out this weird back-end way of paying it now but making it a scheduled payment so that they are going to take the money out of my bank account two days after I get paid next time. But I I just really think this is the best way to go where like I can finalize the whole thing and file my whole tax return and schedule the payment and confirm everything and I don't have to do anything and then just like a few weeks from now they'll pull the money out of my account on a date that I've decided, on a date that I know that I will have the money. And I now don't have to think about it. And I, it really took a lot out of me to not procrastinate with it because I really fucking hated it. <laughs> like, it's so annoying. But I just was like, okay, fine. I guess I do owe this money, probably. I could be wrong, you know. All this stuff is so infinitely complicated that maybe I should have, like, called a bunch of people and gotten out of it somehow. But it's like, I think it's my fault. I said how much money I was going to make, and then I made 20 grand more than that. And then now I owe what I owe based on what I actually made. And it's my fault for signing up for health insurance where the actual price was like more than 500 bucks a month. And then I never went to the doctor. That's the thing too. So in the end, I pay like 500 bucks a month for a year, you know? I pay like six grand probably for health insurance. And then I never went to the doctor. Oh my God. That is psychologically, that's very hard to deal with. <laughs> That is very funny and very hard to deal with. Like, hey, guy, have a medical problem. At least go to the doctor. You paid 600 bucks a month for health insurance for a year. At least go to the doctor because if you go to the doctor, it'll be free or it'll be like 25 bucks because you already paid for the insurance. Hey, guy, have a problem. Hey, guy, hey, guy, go to the ER just for show, just to make yourself feel better. Hey, guy, ask the doctor for some sort of pill to fucking make you feel better in the brain, you know? Uh, psychologically, all of that is, like, very hard. And in a way, it was just worst-case scenario where, like, I was really anxious about doing my tax, cause, taxes because it seemed really complicated and it seemed like 
Actually, it wasn't that complicated because a year ago, I did my taxes for the previous year. And that year, I had been unemployed for part of the year. And let me tell you something shameful. I was unemployed. And when I was unemployed, I was a little bit of a crypto bro. And I was a little bit of one of these guys who's like, one of these guys who thinks that they're good at it. And let me just tell you right now, you're not good at it. And let me just tell you right now that like, it's so ridiculous and embarrassing thinking back on it. And honestly, I never think, I I actually think I never really bought into any of it. And I don't think that there's actually, um, there's actually conversations that I had with friends. There's one conversation that I had with my buddy Matt, where he was like, dude, this crypto XRP is going to fucking hit and it's going to go fucking crazy bananas and we're going to be so fucking rich. And I'm, and he films me and he's like, what do you say about it? And I say like, I don't know. Like, I don't think it's really going to hit. Like, it's, they're fucking being prosecuted by the SEC. It seems like a scam. They just sort of like did a pump and dump. Like, I don't think it makes any sense for this weird ass crypto to suddenly become extremely valuable and for us to get really rich. But, you know, I'll go on this ride with you and we both have a couple of thousand dollars invested in it. Like, as a friendship thing, I'll, I'll, I'll hang out with you and stuff. And he films me saying all of this and he's laughing at me at, at what a bitch I'm being about how it's not going to, how I think we're not going to be rich. And he films this and he, and he in the video, he's all like, I'm going to show you this video later and I'm going to fucking humiliate you when we're so fucking rich. And it's such a weird, like, inversion where, like, Maybe I should have filmed everyone around me saying how smart they were at crypto and how rich they thought we were going to be and looking back on it, how wrong they were. Because the ridiculous thing is the following. This is the thing that happened with crypto. It was just like an all around, all across the board bull market for like years. And when everything is going up across the board, just everything is going up. Generally, some of them are going up temporarily very, very fast a lot. The thing that happens is that people do this day trading thing where like they they buy $500 of this and then it goes up to $1,500. So they sell it and then they buy $500 of this and then it goes up. So they so they sell it. And, and then they think that they're doing this like incredibly savvy thing. But really the truth is, Everything is going up and you're in like a very temporary bull market here. So like you could have just parked your money anywhere in any random way and it would have gone up. And and then people at the end of it have made all these trades and they think that their trades were really savvy and that it's the, the trades that made it so that they – but like dude, all cryptos are the same. They all do the same thing. Like they – the correlation between crypto prices between cryptos is like extremely fucking high. So there's no savviness doing anything between different cryptos. I I hate people talking about cryptos on a podcast, but I think I'm actually, I think it's safe for me to do a little bit of an anti-crypto rant on a podcast here. And I, I think, I think we're in safe territory, but so what happened is that there was like a three-year bull market where everything went up. So everyone thought they were really savvy. And then um, the whole thing just crashed. Like the whole thing just caved in on itself. And everything lost 75% of its value. And personally, 
what happened to me is I threw a bunch of money in here, threw a bunch of money in there, did some trading, did some selling, whatever. And then I would take money out so that in the very end, I had probably put in 7,000 and taken out 7,000 and I still had a bunch of stuff in. So I'm like at a really break even point where I still have a bunch of crypto that I in a way didn't really pay for because whatever I paid, I already took out, whatever. But the thing that people don't understand, because these crypto bros, they'd read a bunch of blogs and watch a bunch of YouTube videos, but they don't understand like, how does the fucking tax law work? The thing people don't understand is like, if you hold a commodity less than 12 months, it's taxed completely differently than if you hold it for more than 12 months. So it's taxed way more and you have to register it way more. So because you're what you're doing is day trading. If it's a short-term hold, it's day trading. And day trading is like this thing where, oh, you better fucking do this for a living because this is a fucking headache. So when I did a when I did my taxes a year ago, I realized that everything I'd been doing was classified as day trading. So I had to register like thousands of trades. I had to like, not thousands of trades, but like hundreds of lines where each line has like a date and a time and a purchasing price and a fucking value of it now. And then the next line is when I sold it and how much I sold it for and how much of it was the profit. Like, the complexity of me just sitting on a website, just shuffling money a little bit back and forth because I was unemployed, the complexity of doing my taxes a year later was so ridiculous that even though all said and done, I made like 10 grand, even though I made 10 grand, if I could have just not, if I could have just not done the whole thing, I would have preferred to because doing my taxes was so fucking annoying that year that that I would have preferred to just have the whole thing not exist. And then because I had such a terrible experience doing my taxes, last year I just made sure not to touch anything because I was like, okay, let's just rack up 12 months on every single thing I own so that I don't have to um, classify anything as a day trade. Because if you buy something and just hold it for more than 12 months, then it's like, Everything is way more chill because what you're doing there is that's really good for the economy to just, ah, that's not right. Oh, that's another conversation. But like, it's at least it's not this insufferable crypto bro bullshit because, you know, I just really like institu I'm really, I'm such an institutionalist. I love institutions and I love the law and I love taxes and I love following the rules and I hate crypto bros. And it's one of those things where, it just happens to coincide that whatever the tax law says is sort of what I emotionally also believe. That annoying crypto bros who sit at the bar and talk about their fucking cryptos, talk at women about their cryptos. Hey, shouldn't we punish those guys somehow? Shouldn't there be something about the tax code? Not Maybe not the penal code. Maybe it's not a misdemeanor. Maybe it's not a federal crime. But shouldn't we do something in the tax code where we punish those guys? And the, here's the thing. We do. And that makes me, that, that makes me feel good. And that makes me feel like, fine, I'm paying six grand in taxes right now just from my own fucking money that I don't even really know where I'm supposed to get this money from, but I'll get this money from somewhere and it's fine. And, and it's like, I'm, I'll happily pay those taxes because at least we're torturing the crypto bros. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, so I, 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 when I was sitting there at 1 a.m. and the number popped up on my screen that I owed $2,000, it was a big sort of like 
titanic feat of willpower, my second one of the day, the first one being not pooping my pants, the second titanic feat of willpower was, let's just get this sorted right now, even though it stresses me out so much. Let's just face the anxiety of this and the negativity of this and just get it all sorted out right now so I don't, so I can just take it off of my to-do list, just focus on my to-do list, just do the things I want to do. Because I've been getting into these things like, I'm, I'm, I don't think I don't want to talk about it on the podcast yet, but there's a music making software called Ableton. And I'm just like really um, finding it so pleasant to just start from the beginning and not learn, not teach myself a skill and be tense the whole time. Just fo- see the whole thing as a meditation exercise where it's about as we learn, as we go through the process, as we do it, as we do something creative, at every step, check in with yourself and see if you're really tense about it. Because every creative thing I do, I find myself being really anxious the whole time for no reason. Like I'm sitting here writing a book and it's just me alone. Like, why am I anxious about it? Is there something, is there some reason why I felt horrible 15 years straight writing a novel? Like, was there some point to that? Uh, Rhetorical question. The answer is no. There was no point to that. And now if I want to teach myself how to make music, shouldn't I just enjoy the whole thing start to finish? Shouldn't I just sit and just enjoy how we're living in this golden era of accessible information and there's just like YouTube videos where people with funny accents and like, pretty girls with funny accents and like funny guys with funny accents, people teaching you how to do it. And you just watch these videos and you just like relax your mind. And the relaxed mind is also where you learn much better. Like where I just relax and actually focus. And I just watch instead of, because how I would normally do it is like there's a 12 minute video explaining how you do it. But after 30 seconds of watching the video, I lose patience and I feel like maybe I already know how to do it now because he's started talking about it. So now I start trying. And then I spent 30 minutes frustratingly trying to learn how to do the thing. And then I watch four more minutes of the video and then I sort of know how to do it. And now I've been uncomfortable for 40 minutes and I've sort of figured out how to do it, 80%. But much better would be to just relax and watch the 12-minute video, learn how to do the tiny little thing 100%, and be relaxed the entire time, and then sit down and use the software how it's intended. Like, there's so many things, like, I've used Photoshop for, like, 25 years at this point, and there's so many workarounds that I've come up with because I've never, no one ever taught me really anything about it. I just taught myself and I used the whole thing in a very stupid way. And there are all these shortcuts for how to just like, I don't know what a layer mask is, you know? There's something about a layer mask that would do everything I do in Photoshop would be easier if I just had 25 years ago sat down for 15 minutes and had someone teach me how to use a layer mask. Because there's something with a layer mask where you can like have two pictures interact with each other in a way where you can just choose how they interact. Instead, I do a thing where I like choose pre-decide how they're going to interact. And then I develop the whole thing of how the two pictures fit together. And then they don't fit together with the way the fucking way I pre-decided how they're going to interact. So now I have to do the whole thing over again. And it's like not the smart way of doing it. 
Like that's a very abstract abs- explanation, but it's an explanation that works for anyone, even if you don't know how to use Photoshop. I have no idea how to use a layer mask, bro. And then, so with the taxes yesterday, I just fucking paid my taxes. And then I was like, fuck it. Let's just watch a YouTube video about how to make music. And then I just watched this YouTube video where a guy in Ableton slowly recreates the Drake song, God's Plan. Because I really, I think there's, I'm not ready to talk about it, but there's a lot of different um, genres of music that I like and that I would just like to make music in just because I enjoy it. And one of them is definitely the sort of um, Noah Forty Shabib is the name of a producer who makes these sort of beats that sound like they're sort of underwater. And he's like Drake's main producer. And it's like, for annoying, how annoying as Drake is, those underwatery sort of lo-fi beats are just so pleasant or there's the guy clams casino who makes a sort of similar type of beat for uh, asap rocky and it's just it's got this like the kick and the snare and the bass and everything is like really softened up everything like hi-hatty everything like sharp like that i really dislike it i was saying this to maddie yesterday I was saying to Maddie how one of the reasons of how I motivated myself to how to write a novel and one of the reasons I think I wrote a novel is that I, I heard someone say or I read something where someone said, I wanted to read something and it hadn't been, it didn't exist. The thing I wanted to read didn't exist, so therefore I wrote it, you know? And I think that's sort of true for all art, where there's like... Every art piece that we enjoy is a compromise where it's like we would have wanted it slightly different, but they bring us this incredibly beautiful thing. And so we enjoy it. And then it's like, it's a crazy thing because it's like, it's not to say that we could do it better. It's just that we could do it more for ourselves. Like I, the music the, the the sound or the words that I think are beautiful in writing or the sound that I think is beautiful is like just what I think is beautiful. And I really just hope to make some songs that just I think are really beautiful. And then I really don't think that they will be beautiful to anyone else. Like I truly believe that. And it's it sounds it sounds like not rationally like that doesn't make sense, but I kind of think it makes sense because it's like, on Spotify or whatever, like 40,000 songs are added every single day. So it's like, I really am not that interested in trying to put music out into an ether where 40,000 new songs are being put out every day and to try to compete with those ones. I really am much more interested in just finding, uh, playing a sound to myself that I think is really beautiful. And then um, <clears throat> taking every existing shortcut and cheat code and every AI, just having the AI make the music for me. But yeah, what I was going to say is like everything that's like a, a sharp snare or a sharp kick in any song, I think I would have liked even songs I love incredibly. I think I would have taken that out if it was up to me. But I didn't make the song, so I don't get to make that creative decision. So instead, I listen to these songs that I sort of like, but they have like these sharp noises in them that I would have taken out. And then other people experience this the same way, so they make a lo-fi remix of everything. So then I can go and get a lo-fi re- Like, we live in such a golden era of... At, 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 on some point, it's like, 
are you creating it or are you just asking the AI for it? Because, and then there's like a borderline between like, what's the difference between telling one of these image generating AIs to create an image? What's the difference between that or searching for an image on Google image search? Because Google image search has such an infinite amount of pictures that there's like considerate overlap. Like if I ask the AI to invent a picture where there's like a red ball on a blue background, it will do that for me. But if I search on Google for a red ball on a blue background, I will also get the same thing probably. So there's like considerable overlap there where like you have to go really niche before the computer is actually inventing a picture for you that doesn't just already exist on Google image search. You know what I'm saying? So it's like on some level, when we're trying to find the exact thing that we find beautiful, be it an image or be it a word or be it a sound, on some level, it's like, it's not so much an act of creation as it is an act of searching. And I think it's really silly to sort of draw a bright red line between those two acts, the act of searching and the act of creating. Because it's really, I'm really sick of these people who who have this anti-AI attitude of like, oh, no, but real creators are suffering when you give us these tools. It's like, no, just just go with it. Just step down into the river of more. More tools, more art, more sound, more image, more beautiful words. Just step down into the river of it and don't worry about taking credit for it. Because if you give up on the ego and the id of taking credit for it, and just try to find the sound that you think is really beautiful. I don't know. That's where I'm at. But that means you have to have a day job, you know? But I have a day job. And I kind of really like my day job. And and my day job is managing all these people. And it's getting really... It, it has these spikes of stressfulness. But... But then when you get to this point where there's like spikes every single day, it becomes the new normal and you become jaded to it and you just become used to it in a healthy way where you're like, yes, I have I have real conversations with people every day and now I'm just comfortable and relaxed having real conversations with people every day. And some of those conversations are difficult and then we have to focus a little bit more and just face it. But it's like, I really care about I really worry about how they see it. And I really worry about what they think of me. <laughs> so, so embarrassing. But that's that's the truth and we shouldn't hide that. Anyway, then there's this last thing I wanted to talk about, which is like, so yesterday I almost, I went to the library and I almost pooped my pants, but there wasn't a line. So I go in there and I, I poop and then I come out and then I'm like, not... Like like I was saying, it's not like now I feel euphoric having overcome this thing and not pooping my pants. Instead, I just feel residual anxiety and like my whole day has been derailed. Like it just feels like a, not a war, it feels like a disaster area. It feels like I live in a disaster area. It sounds like I sort of pooped my pants and got poop on everything, but that's not what I mean. I mean psychologically. I mean... <laughs> I mean that it was so stressful to almost poop my pants that I feel like now I feel like a war journalist in a in Syria, you know? And there are all these rebels and they're shooting and there's the al-Bashar and there's, you know, everything is Hillary Clinton's fault. And, and you know, it's like the one problem with the 
with the Obama administration, and it's just like so complicated, and the Russians have more power, and I'm just standing there, and everything is blinking red, and it's like, did we just like give more power to the Russians? And I'm standing there, and it's the library. So I sit down, and I just grab a book, and I just start reading a book. And I'm chilling, and then I grab my laptop, and I'm trying to like relax, and I'm kind of doing my taxes, and I go pick up my tax packet, I come back, I sit on my laptop, I considered just, I, I start doing the prep work for doing my company taxes, and um, I get somewhere. And hours go by, and I really waste the whole afternoon just being anxious and sitting at the uh, library, just staring into space about how I almost just pooped my pants. But here's what I was going to say. I'm obsessed with chess. I, spay, I play four or five ga- four or five games of chess every day on my phone. And and I am very happy that I have found a fella who is the night audit at Holbrook who shows up at 11 p.m. I haven't seen him in a long time because he hasn't shown up to work because there was a snowstorm and he's been sick. But irregardless, he plays chess and he shows up at 11 and and I have this option of like playing chess with him at 11 and it's awesome. But I'm sitting at the library. It's a Wednesday four pop-up tables show up and these people these kids okay so one of the librarians it uh, sets up four big tables enough to seat like you know 30 people sitting facing each other and then these bored looking teenagers with these big plastic um tubs show up with all these chessboards and they just start putting up chessboards and i'm like what is going on here and and I want to go up and ask him and stuff. Is this going to be a chess tournament? Do you guys do this again? And like, I can't play right now because I almost pooped my pants and I'm too anxious. But like, if I come back next Wednesday, it's... And then I just overhear the information and I get the answers. And it's like, every other Wednesday, there's a chess club. And it's not very well attended. And if I go, someone will probably play chess with me. But it was so... And now I'm going to say things that don't have anything to do with chess about this situation because I'm just sitting at a at a sort of tall on a tall stool at a tall table on my laptop, and I just out of the corner of my eye just see and and hear these people, and it's a librarian and three twelve year olds or thirteen year olds, and dude, it's just so fucking interesting. Like, just working with kids is like. It just seems like one of the things that's the most engaged, like the, it engages your, it must engage your entire brain to try to get kids to develop correctly and properly along the right lines and to try to guide them. I'm sure the actual experience of working with kids is a lot of frustration and a feeling of complete powerlessness where you have no control over controlling, like guiding their development at all, but you just do your best and you just sort of like try to spend time with them and you just try to be positive and have an informed and like, you know, go to school for it, learn how to do it, have certain tools, use the tools, have a perspective, you know, fucking do it. Don't destroy them and, you know, do a little bit of critical race theory and make them good progressive fucking kids and everything and make it all good. But... What it actually looks like, it's like this librarian is just talking to these people and they're people, they're kids. These 12-year-olds know so much about chess and she, it's just so interesting, the meta of it, because she knows nothing about chess and what she's doing is like she's asking them about the chess 
just to make them feel like what they are spending their time on is valid. And she's doing this like kindergarten thing of like talking to them and trying to talk to them in a respectful way and trying to ask them about what they are interested in because clearly these are three bullied kids who are obsessed with chess. And she's just trying to get them to talk to each other and she's trying to talk, get them to just talk about chess and just like... She's trying to make statements and throw out questions and make it a conversation. Just teach them how to interact with people. And she's being so nice. And she's being such a good person. And these kids are so closed in on themselves. And it's so weird to me how they seem catatonic, like they would just sit at their house. But they have, I don't know if their kid, their parents forced them to be there, but I don't see any parents. So I almost feel like these kids are choosing to go to the library and set up all these chessboards and like they're putting so much effort in and then they just sit there and they don't challenge, they don't tell anyone I want to play chess. They just set up eight chessboards and then they just sit on a chair and just look at their own hands and just wait for someone to come up and be like, hey, would you, I see that you have a chessboard here. Do you want to play chess with me? So next Wednesday, I'm definitely going to go in there and just, and just like get obliterated by a 12 year old and I'm going to fucking love it because I love losing. I hate losing. That's not true. But I love playing with someone who isn't. Like when I went to Mexico, I played my uncle and my aunt and all these people a bunch. And no, like they don't. They haven't played thousands of games of chess in the last few years. Like they couldn't. They don't know the names of the openings, you know? Like they're not chess nerds. I'm a I'm a fucking backside, backseat chess nerd, you know? Like Capablanca, you know? Like when Jacob is, when Jacob at the front, the night audit guy is reading a book, I'm, I mean, I know who wrote that book. Like I watch chess videos. I watch videos on the internet on YouTube about fucking chess masters from 200 years ago and their life stories and how they interacted with each other. And, you know, like I've seen someone break down the first game Bobby Fischer ever, ever recorded by Bobby Fischer. And, you know, someone played fucking the king's gambit against him and he was 7 years old and F- bobby fisher lost you know i know a thing or two about chess but i'm going to play these 12 year olds and i'm going to get destroyed and it's going to be good but so i'm watching this librarian talk to these 3 12 year olds about chess and she's trying to get them to just open up and just interact with human beings and just be part of society and she's just being such a good person being so supportive and using a really positive voice and asking them to explain things and like asking them like so what about a late game like which piece is good for late game and looking at it and the kids some most of the time the kids just sit there and they have nothing to respond to what she's saying but every once in a while she hits something where they like oh yeah they are obsessed with the difference between like how a rook is really good late game and and uh the horsey is really good early game and she gets them to rant about it and as i'm hearing them rant i can really feel what it is like to be them and as as i hear the librarian talk to the kids i can really feel what it is like to be her and to just be this person that's like, you're choosing to spend your time on this because it's good. These kids, like, these kids, you're really helping these kids. And these kids might, you know, you know, these kids are like not that happy. But if you let, if you like open them up a little bit and just teach them how to interact and they might be really good. And they might like, 
they might really, they might not even remember you 40 years from now, but if you didn't exist, they might be way worse off 40 years from now. Because it's not like an active memory in them that you're creating about how much of a positive impact you're having on them, but you're just having an objectively positive impact on them. And as I'm listening to her speak, the librarian, and listening to the kids speak, so much I feel like I am both of them. Like, that's the weird feeling. Like, I am this, like, weird, fucked-up little person that just that has no idea how to interact with the world around me. And I just need someone to come at me and just, like, talk to me in almost a baby voice but still take me seriously and just ask me questions and just let me be me. And just let me be, like, a weirdo and just let me be have be a person that has no answer to anything you're saying and i just i'm just catatonic in my own autism and then once in a while you hit upon a topic that i've been fucking wanting to podcast about and i'm i'll let it rip dude i'll i'll talk for 2 hours about it and you won't even have to say anything i'll just podcast about it for 2 hours and i will let it rip roar i'll be firing on all syllables and then other times Exactly 50% of the time, actually, I'm the librarian and I'm just like at work and I'm just talking to people and they don't understand how they interact with the world and they do everything wrong and I can see how they do it wrong. And I just try to get to their level of speaking in a way where they get what I'm saying. And like, I know that I don't have a big impact and I know, I know I probably, we can't change other people. We can't do almost anything. But maybe if I just around the edges, just cultivate a little bit of a culture of of just being a certain way and all of us together being a certain way and existing in this space and trying to be positive and trying to be happy and just trying to exist in a mind state of learning and in a space of like, everyone is free to speak. Everyone is free to express their opinion. If I just, if I can just be someone who you know, I let you be weird and you get to be weird and then you feel happy about that and now you can be normal. And if you can get the weird out, now you can be normal and now you can be so good. And it's like, I am the librarian and I am the autistic 12-year-old. And it's like, God damn it, dude. I 100% identify with both of these people. And maybe that's not a contradiction, you know? Like maybe this fucking librarian was a fucking weird 12-year-old. Maybe we're, and maybe me at 36, maybe I'm just exactly smack in the middle between them. But honestly, I think that librarian was probably like in her late 30s and yeah. Anyway, I just thought that was nice, dude. But I'll I'll check back in with y'all when I, when I've played chess with some fucking, I'll come out of it and be like, Johnny is a fucking asshole. He's 12 years old and I fucking hate him. <laughs> That's how I'll come out of it. Oh, God. Johnny is not a good kid name, though. I don't know any kid names. Because I'm not on the sex offender registry list. What is a kid name? Kevin? Is that still a kid name? Dude, Kevin fucking sucks. Remember just saying that because of Home Alone? These kids probably have names like fucking Sunshine and fucking Daffodil and like Earthworm. Earthworm Jim. Is that the name of a 12-year-old? I will be calling one of those 12-year-olds Earthworm Jim, and we'll see how it works. And then it'll be clear that I'm still more of an autistic 12-year-old than I am a um, librarian. All right, I love you guys. I, I have to give up on this now. This is like, 
I am, I don't have any food all day. I have to go to the store and get some bacon and then I, I'm going to make some pasta because I'm really getting into, um, the difference between different types of parmesan, types of parmesan, how they actually, like, in America, people talk about parmesan, but it's kind of like not that useful of a phrase because there's different things in the family of what we call parmesan and, and people call like pre-graded fucking boxed up bullshit from the store parmesan it's like i'm not really interested in that i'm interested in a really dry block of something you you know what i'm saying three different major types of parmesan google it so tonight we're gonna see what's up you know i got some rigatoni tonight you should google uh the three types of parmesan and you should listen to the song it's on spotify rigatoni by hell of it it's spelled H-O-V and then the letter one. H-O-V letter one. The song name is Rigatoni. You know, just look it up, you know? <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Hey, I love you guys. And thanks for listening. Thank you.